Welcome to Seismic Sales Enablement Shift Podcast. Here is your host and Seismic's Vice President of Marketing, Daniel Rodriguez. Hello and welcome to the Sales Enablement Shift Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Rodriguez. And I'm your co-host, Alyssa Drury. So, so far on this podcast, we've spoken with a few members of the recently now renamed SE Society, which was formerly the Sales Enablement Council, so that it's now called the SE Society. It's an organization created by our first ever podcast guest, Scott Santucci. The Professionals Group aims to bring together enablement practitioners to discuss best practices, overcome challenges, and elevate the role as a whole. So one of the most important conclusions reached during the first meeting of the SE Society uh, was that sales enablement should be regarded as a business within a business. This means that enablement should have its own internal customers, which are predominantly salespeople, but also other parts of the organization, with its own set of goals that align to overarching business goals. Today we speak with Jen Marie Jacober, a society member and sales enablement practitioner who uses her consulting experience to implement sales enablement as a business within a business. All right. So, Jen Marie, maybe you could just start off by giving us a brief background about yourself uh, and tell us a little bit about how you got into this space of sales enablement. Sure. So, really, I've worked as a consultant most of my career, and I've been doing sales enablement in in various ways throughout my career. And then more recently, I've been more focused on the sales enablement function itself. I spent the majority of my time what we would describe as a triple threat. So I did sales and business development. I also did the project execution and implementation and then the people management part. You know, it was a lot of different pieces you had to keep track of. But what was still important is that, you know, we had to manage the sales component and we had to do all the enablement functions for ourselves. This experience has really helped me stand up other sales enablement departments and capabilities for multiple companies now because of what I was doing as a triple threat in the consulting industry. So and now you work as a consultant to help organizations get their sales enablement function up and running. Is that, is that yes, right? Yes, currently I am working as a consultant. Excellent. Maybe you can give the audience a little bit of a, a background on how you've seen sales enablement as as a function and as a strategic imperative within a company kind of shift over over time? So in terms of as a function, what I think is interesting is the industry treats sales enablement purely as a training activity or a technology and tools activity. When I went to go research it, when I was put in a job for sales enablement, that's what I found. And what it really seems to me, based on all the companies I've supported, is that you need that function, a sales enablement function, to help the sales team do what they do best, which is sell. So if you start with that premise in mind, sales enablement really embodies much more than just training sales teams and providing them good tools and technologies. Let's talk a little bit about the traditional org structure that you've seen with the sales enablement groups that I guess you've been a part of. And then how how has that evolved in the groups that you're then trying to get started at companies? So what I've found with traditional organizational structures is that they really haven't evolved much over the years. So when you're, you know, trying to have a sales enablement department and trying to figure out where does it fit in, sometimes it fits under sales, sometimes under marketing. Companies are really struggling with where to put it because they're aligning to a traditional method of creating their sales departments and creating their other departments inside the company. When they automatically align themselves to this, they're really going to grow into that traditional organizational structure. So I'm going to just walk through a quick example because I think it's helpful to sort of see how this happens. So I was talking to a CEO recently of a small startup, and what they were trying to do is grow their integration team. 
But the team was essentially a bridge between the salesperson and the technology team. So the representatives were doing account management, configuration management, and help desk activities. And what the CEO wanted to do was to hire an integration manager and also configuration managers. And in, in, their, in their mind, the goal was to create more roles and process steps to help the company grow. But by doing that and by creating a distinction between integration and configuration, they were setting up more islands instead of streamlining the startup for success. So that's what I call the, the islands of departments, if you will. You're trying to get everything lined up and you just automatically align to each department. So when you do that, you're creating these stovepipes right from the get-go. So what they were really doing inside the small startup is they were performing sales operations and enablement activities, but they weren't calling it that. But that's what this team was doing. And they were doing all of the necessary roles post-sales. It seemed to me like that was sales enablement, but this particular company didn't arrive at that conclusion yet. And perhaps they will in the future, but it might be after they've already created an additional 10 departments to do all these other functions. So that's really what I think is facing the industry today, whether you're a small company or a big company, you have this natural alignment towards a, a historical hierarchy of what an organizational structure should look like. And that becomes a barrier to success in getting all the sales keep all the people to align back to sales so they can be enabled for success. I did actually want to make sure we touch on this topic of sales enablement being run as a business within a business. Yep. This is actually a topic that has come up on previous episodes that we've done, partly because I guess we've had a couple of the podcast participants who are members of the SE Society. Yep. Um, so everyone's kind of speaking the same language. Um, but maybe you could give people a little bit of a sense of what you mean by business within a business for the sales enablement okay, function. Okay, I can definitely do that. The way I see it when you think about what sales enablement teams are doing, and some have referred to that as the VP of broken things, but there's a need to solve problems and eliminate barriers to artfully execute the sales cycle. So how do you do that? You have to work as a business in a business by interacting with all the departments to improve the company's ability to sell. So let's examine a few examples. Um, I worked with a company that had a sales team and they were very unhappy with the support provided by the other departments. So upon further review and inspection, it was clear that these other departments were not aware of what sales needed and at times were working against the sales team unintentionally. With the new sales enablement team in place, all these departments suddenly had a place to go to resolve the issues with sales. So your business in a business was automatically successful because you put yourself out there, you say, I'm here to help. And you're now able to then block and tackle all these different problems and issues. And that essentially becomes a way to solve problems for the organization on behalf of sales. Once everyone's on the same page, then sales can focus on what they do best, which is sell. Sounds like they need to have a couch in the room there. Sounds yes. like they have to act as a shrink for the different yeah, parts of the organization. Yeah, it is. And it's just, you know, like any other business. So if you are going to run your sales enablement department as a business, then you have to understand who your customers are and the services you provide them. Just like any other business. It's just like when an IT organization has a chargeback model and they have established service levels and metrics. Sales enablement needs to operate under the same premise. So if we understand our stakeholders and we determine what they require, then we can define our services around what they require with clear targets and metrics. If we can continuously monitor and improve as we mature, then we're doing a good job. Now, it sounds like a lot of business consultants speak, and it is, right? Because the sales enablement function is going to have to identify what's in scope and how to manage it. And that's what a lot of consultants already do today. We have talked a lot about how important it is to do internal selling when you're actually trying to build that business within a business function. You have to convince different stakeholders that this is something that should be funded because 
even though it ties itself very closely to revenue generating activities, the department itself, the business within a business does not actually generate revenue. So you have to show that the investment in this is worth it so that it will have a revenue impact Absolutely. with with the business. I mean, how do you, when you're working with folks, how do you advise them to, to go about getting some of that budget and where is that budget going to come from? That's a good question. So, I mean, I think like any other departments in, a, in an organization, many of them are cost centers for the company. So sales enablement has to provide value quickly and continuously to succeed. And you've got to do that by defining what the service is and defining how you're going to measure it and how you're going to impact the bottom line. Many departments that are seen as superfluous will be cut in an organization, and we don't want sales enablement to be that department. Sales enablement needs to be a critical function to help bring everything together to enhance and increase the revenue for the company and ensure that everyone's aligning to the original mission of the company, which is to sell things typically, right? Because companies can't exist unless you're bringing revenue in the door. But when you're trying to do that, I think it can be hard. So when you look at what traditional sales enablement teams are doing today, they're implementing technologies or delivering training. Companies are very tolerant to these types of costs and they've been taking them on for years. So that makes sense why sales enablement aligns that way currently when you look across the market. But when you're trying to actually fix some of the really hard problems, you've got to work harder and find better metrics to do that. And they need to be more aligned to what the sales team is doing so that you can show that value and you can improve what we're doing on the sales operation side, for example, or if we're going after you know, a higher to retire concept where we're trying to show that training and mentoring and coaching are successful, we need to be able to demonstrate how that's successful. So if we're gonna do that, we have to measure it and we have to show that value quickly. You know, I think that when you're really trying to bring it all together, it's not easy. It's gonna be customized to each organization because every organization operates differently. So that's why you have to operate like a business as a business and be a consultant, if you will, inside your company to figure out how you can show that value and what it needs to look like. Let's let's see if we can unpack a couple more examples there around the challenges that you've seen people have when they're actually trying to get the business within a business set up off the ground. Where do people tend to stub their toes so that we can make sure our listeners avoid sure. with those potholes? Um, so I can speak to some of the things that I've experienced. So I worked with the company, for example, to improve their sales operations, and it was necessary to eliminate errors and problems on through the back-end processing, if you will. And what we had to do is we had to work with all these other teams to figure out, you know, what did the process look like? Where were the hiccups? Where were the bottlenecks? Where were we being inefficient? And we were able to demonstrate that and measure it. Once we were able to measure it, then we could go back to the other organizations and show them, like, here's what we found. We found that this is where the errors were causing problems and hiccups, and this is where it was preventing us from closing on the sale quickly. So we've knocked that out, we fixed it, and now look at how our metric has changed and how it's gotten better. On the flip side, however, when you do that, if there are other places that need improvement, for example, and they don't happen to fall under the sales enablement umbrella, you can run into politics. So, you know, politics at times can outweigh the value of what maybe your sales enablement function is doing. And you have to be aware of that because then all the teams suffer. So when your sales enablement function doesn't have the authority to manage around those issues and they can't necessarily fix them because there are other departments involved, you've really got to have the backing of senior executives and they have to be on board. And, you know, it always really is going to come back to if you're not clear on what you're doing, you can't measure it, you can't articulate it and you can't get buy-in. And the sales enablement function is going to suffer, and ultimately the sales function is going to suffer. So it's a great piece of advice, and 
this has also come up on several of our different podcast episodes. You know, how do you go about getting, maybe we should just do one episode just about this because it's just so critically <laughs> important. How do you go about, and most of the listeners are not those executives themselves. So how do you go about actually getting that executive sponsorship for the sales enablement business within a business? Well, it takes a lot of skills, right? I mean, I think that that's why it's so hard because we can't offer a single solution, right? Again, it goes back to what we talked earlier. It's custom. It's unique to the company needs. Companies grow organically and they develop their own organizational construct based on what makes sense to them at the time. We talked about that earlier startup example, right? You can't necessarily go in and say, here's three steps to solve all your problems magically and executives will back you and you're going to be successful. I mean, if it were that easy, then there wouldn't be a need for the Sales Enablement Society. There wouldn't be a need for people to get out here and start talking about it and working together to block and tackle these issues. So I'd really like to offer that secret sauce, but I think it will be unique to each company and that what it takes is a very similar approach to you know other things that have been tackled by industry is you've got to go in and understand the environment. You've got to figure out what the problems are. You need to know what the root causes are. Then you need to be able to identify and communicate them to executives in a way that they will say, wow, we got to fix this. And it, it's definitely not easy. It's an art. It's not a science. And it takes experience and it takes time and it takes getting to know people in the environment so that you can show them that you can make an impact as a sales enablement person in the organization. I totally agree. I remember when we were speaking with Daniel West, and I think Tamara Shank as well, brought up that if you are speaking to a senior executive and trying to get their buy-in for something and you aren't speaking their language, the language of a very important metric or two that they're probably going around and talking to the whole company about or on earnings calls about, if you if what you're saying doesn't tie to that metric, you're not having the right conversation because Absolutely. they aren't going to care, right? And you really need to make sure you're, you're going to make them look good. I agree. I mean, if you can understand who your stakeholders are, who's the champion, what's important to them, and then you can figure out what islands of departments are in the way of you being able to enable sales to sell, then you can start to define those objectives and create measurable outcomes to start. And if those metrics impact the bottom line, then they will make the executives look twice and they will want to work with you. Excellent. All right. So we are now transitioning over to the Speedy 7, which is seven non-sequitur questions that really have absolutely nothing to do with your professional credentials um, <laughs> to test your Maybe wit. should. <laughs> and <laughs> no, no, trust me, you don't want these to have anything to do with your professional credentials. All right. um, and and it, we will leave the audience to judge whether you're right or wrong. <laughs> I'm trying to really build this up here. All right. Are you ready? Oh, I'm Jim, nervous. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. What was the first concert you ever attended? Indigo Girls, I believe was the first one. And they were really cool when I was younger, which I think maybe Daniel gets that, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if other people in this meeting do. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Resting soul of Galileo King. Back. <laughs> Right. You're hiding a great singing talent. You do not want me singing just for all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. What was the last TV show you binge watched? Ooh, binge watched. Um, Suits. Ooh. You know, the one about the lawyers on USA. <laughs> I have not seen that one. It's good. It's good. Oh, it's really good. And the characters are just really funny. I mean, Lois there's a, is my favorite. 
Oh, yeah, that you've got to watch it. <laughs> All right, got to watch it. You heard it here first and second, I guess, because Alyssa's backing Jim Ryan Bonus. <laughs> and All right. USA is going to give you a kickback for that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I know, really. I don't think I've actually heard of anyone even talk about that network for a little while. I feel like they're, I they're on the... the Golden Child, I'm pretty they, sure. They've had some really good shows, but, you know, Suits is the one I'm addicted to of late. Nice. I want to do the Speedy Seven, by the way. I kind of like interject a little bit sometimes, well, but I think maybe we'll flip it we'll up have next you as a time. Guest and I... on your own podcast. Sweet. Oh, okay, good. I don't know why you weren't already. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, seriously. All right, good. Um, all right, what do you call the long sandwich that contains cold cuts, lettuce, tomato, mayo, etc.? A sub. Sub. Sure. <laughs> is that um, a trick question? Like, what else is it called? Oh, <laughs> see, that's, it's it's actually a regional question. Oh. People call that something different. In well, different like a parts. hoagie. Hoagies and grinders. Grinder. I did that again last that time. I think, hey, you know what? Um, <laughs> if there's, someone's going to say hoagie, I'm going to throw in grinder. All right. Um, do you put the cups in your cupboard upright or upside down? Upside down. Froyo or ice cream? Ice cream. <laughs> uh, bonus add-on flavor. What flavor? Oh, ooh, that really depends on the day. So I'm a big fan of peanut butter ice cream, but it has to be done right. And I also love like mint chocolate chip. Mm. All right. Paper or plastic? You mean for groceries? Recyclable bags. Always. There it is. We got some, yeah, there's some, <laughs> we have some like well, environmentalists in the, I mean, yes, see, I think it, I environmentalist social, sounds, social yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, drive, I, I drive a hybrid. There you go. There's actually in the Boston Logan Airport on several of the floors of the parking garage, they now have the spots that are closest to the so the, the primo parking spots on a couple of floors. You have to have a hybrid or electric vehicle. So some of them actually have for full electric vehicles charging, Chargers. but for hybrids where you don't have to charge them, you still have to have a hybrid. And I saw someone walking around giving out tickets to people that had improperly parked in those oh, wow. spots. But there's a lot of these spots. And there are a lot of cars actually already parked in those spots. That's so funny. Uh, so I got, here's a funny tidbit about hybrids. In Virginia, because they were realizing that they were getting less taxes because they were using less gas, they started then doing a property tax on hybrids that was in addition so they could get that tax back. <laughs> that is I think suppose, that's the opposite of what they're supposed to do. I know, right? Like, you're do. not supposed to tax it. They tax more on a hybrid vehicle than if you don't drive a hybrid because they're losing the money on the gas sales tax. That is not very wow. environmentally friendly. I know there no, are certain states. I know that California <laughs> is one of them, and Massachusetts is also one of them, that gives you a, a tax credit for purchasing one of those vehicles. Right. Um, in California, you can drive in the HOV lane by yourself if you're in a hybrid. Wow. Which I think, or Which probably like makes yeah. the HOV lane packed, I'm assuming, the in HOV California. The HOV lane is nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they start to become meaningless when they're just as crowded as the rest. Yep. All right, last question. Um, so I don't know if you are a baseball fan, but uh, the home team, when the batters are coming to the plate, they play a song for those guys, and, oh, and that's yeah. called your walk-on song. So... You know, it's like your pump you up song. So what would your walk on song be? Oh, man, that's that's a good one. <laughs> I think you might have stumped me only because it would depend on what I was trying to do mentally. And I don't play a lot of sports. So I got to really think about this one. 
Maybe um, like a workout. Some people yeah. have this as like their power workout song. Like yeah, wanna... like the song. So for me, I don't align to like one song, but I would say a type of music. The type of music that I use to get pumped up tends to be uh, more of a upbeat trance style. So something that like starts out slow with like the beat and then it like works its way, mm-hmm. you know, faster and faster and faster, gets you invigorated and then you're pumped and you're ready. To <laughs> but it's not like a single song. Like it's like, I'll just grab an album and then I'll just go. That's great. Yep. Nice. I know I, know um, I probably needed a song, but that's something. We'll find, that's no, we'll find something. <laughs> Think of one right now. Um, it's called Blue Waters. And I can't Blue remember. Waters. Yeah, I could probably find it for you. It's on one of my albums. But, yeah. Okay, awesome. sweet. All right. Great. Well, thank you very much, <laughs> Anne-Marie, for participating in our Speedy 7 and, more importantly, uh-huh. sharing with the audience your expertise about how to create a business within a business for your sales enablement function. Great. And don't forget, Sales Enablement Society. Why don't you tell people what the Sales Enablement Society is trying to do? And, mm-hmm. and there's more information to be found online, but what, you know, what can people do to, to sure. get involved? So if you're interested in elevating the sales enablement profession and you want to do something to help this community grow and to mature to the point that it needs to be, then come and join us. Come and join the Sales Enablement Society. It's a group of volunteers right now, and we're working very, very hard to to build content and to build capability for this profession. Our goal is to elevate the profession of sales enablement and to make it more relevant to industry because it's it's needed. It's going to be a critical function moving forward, and we are going to be there to help. So you can learn more about the SE Society at www.sesociety.org, where you'll also find more information about getting involved in a local chapter. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. You can follow our Seismic Sales Enablement Shift podcast to learn more about sales enablement. See you next time.